biblical than controversial. So if you're joining with us, I hope that you got your Bible handy or at least able to watch what I put on the screen. If not, if you're working or driving, of course, do what you got to do. But I really want to make this a biblical discussion. One of my passions as a pastor is to discuss sanctification. Those of you who are not familiar with the term sanctification, it simply means to be made holy. And it's found throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So thank you for joining with me. I'm going to wait for a few people to come. Uh, just excited to be here. Always good to be online. I've uh, taken some time to make sure that this is working out and I've practiced it. Hopefully today we won't have any issues, though I don't have a video today. So of course, next time I have a video, we'll have to make sure that it works okay. If you can hear me, would you just let me know that you can hear me by uh, chatting below, you can hear me okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. want to just make sure I'm coming through oh, okay. Wonderful. Those of you who are working, obviously, this may not be the best time for you to turn and tune in, Ernesto, but thank you for chatting with me. So today I want to talk about sanctification, to be made holy, and holiness is synonymous with Christ. The Bible, uh, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but specifically with Christ because Christ was sinless and holy and the perfect example to us. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy in both Old and New Testament. And then also the scriptures uh, through Jesus Christ command us to be perfect. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Oh, great, Ernesto, thank you for letting me know you can hear me. So what I want to do is talk about a meme that Lecrae put up, a meme that he put up, and this could have been put up by anybody. This is being uh, popularized right now by most Christians, whether they're famous or have a platform or not. I'm seeing it all the time, all the time. These are the kinds of memes that I'm seeing. And I do want to say that I believe Lecrae is a Christian. I don't know how mature of a Christian he is. I don't know if he's an obedient Christian, but from his confession of faith, I must believe that he's a Christian. So once again, this is not a gospel-related issue to this man and his personal salvation. I am not rebuking him for the sake of his salvation. I am simply using this as a means of discussion about how most Christians, I think, have it wrong, according to the Bible, in view of sanctification. So let's look at Lecrae's post here. He said, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I make hypocritical decisions. Yes, I fall. I stumble. I struggle. I am a mess, but I'm God's mess, and he can turn a mess into a masterpiece. Now, this is very popular. This is the way many people talk about their Christianity. You might have seen a poem that went along the lines of saying, I'm not perfect, but I'm loved. I'm not perfect, but I'm this. And it just kind of goes on and on and on into those kinds of things. I've actually preached a whole message on popular memes and corrected it with the Bible. I'll put that in today's notes. But I just want to stay on this for a moment. If you were to read this without listening to me kind of coming against it, would you consider this to be your belief system? Do you consider this to be how you see Christianity? Do you see yourself as a Christian on one side, that's who you are, but you make hypocritical decisions? So you're basically a hypocrite. If you're doing the acts of a hypocrite, by definition, you're a hypocrite. Do you also find yourself falling all the time? 
and somehow continuing to fall again. Maybe you repent and then you fall again. Do you find yourself stumbling over the same things over and over again? Do you find yourself in struggles where you're not victorious, you're struggling? And do you think of yourself as a mess? Do you say to yourself, I am a mess? And then the way you look at it is, I'm God's mess. Do you ever look at your life that way? Now, if you're not a Christian, you should look at your life that way. You should look at your life as being hypocritical. As a non-Christian, you're going to make hypocritical decisions all the time. As a non-Christian, falling should be what you're used to because you're fall-in. And stumbling, you're stumbling all the time, and of course you're struggling, and you are a mess. But as a Christian, is that who you are? When we look through the Bible, specifically the New Covenant, which we're living in, and the epistles and the teachings of Jesus, do we see this as the confession that we should be making? Now, right now, as you're listening to me, I would encourage you to think about the memes you see throughout the week in your life on Facebook. Do they generally sound something like this? I'm not perfect, but God loves me perfectly, something like that. Or, you know what, I'm struggling today, but I know that God's going to get me through. Is that the kind of memes you generally see? It's the ones I generally see. Or how about the preaching? Maybe the preaching of your church or your favorite uh, preacher online. Does that kind of sound like the messages that you hear them preaching all the time? You are struggling, you are in defeat, you are having all of these issues, and yet God this Sunday is going to get you through the week so you can come back next Sunday and start again and get your deliverance, so forth and so on. Well, I want to encourage you today, if you've seen these things, I want to encourage you to stop believing them. Because if you are a Christian, that's not who you are. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and I appreciate you joining with me today. And if anybody has questions, feel free to put them up as I go through these scriptures. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and onward, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So now we see that we are supposed to be different than the world, if we truly are Christians, because we've uh, had a Christian experience. We've been saved. Now notice the salvation is not by our works. It's a gift of God as, as well as the faith to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We don't take credit for generating faith in our heart. We don't take credit for making ourselves a good person or saving ourselves. By the grace of God, we are gifted these things. Now, I believe we can resist those things if we want, but that's another discussion. But let's just agree on all branches of Christianity, we believe that the gift of salvation is given by God and that we receive it by faith. Not by our works, not by doing more, not by trying more, not by trying to uh, make ourselves clean. I, I say this to people, do you wash your car before you take it to a car wash? That's like you trying to fix yourself before you come to Jesus. And it's even worse than that. It would be as if you had AIDS and you tried to give yourself a blood transfusion from your left arm to your right arm. You can't fix yourself. Or as if you were a computer with a broken hard drive because you have viruses and you try to fix yourself and get rid of the viruses. You couldn't do it. Everything in the hard drive's already 
uh, you know, impacted by that virus. And so we can't give ourselves a heart transplant with our own hearts. We can't change ourselves. That's the gospel message, and we're supposed to believe that. Now continue on. It says, not by works, so that no one can boast. So there's no work that we can boast of to receive salvation. Now look at verse 10, though. It says, we are currently now God's handiwork. And if you want to see this in a different translation, the classic uh, King James or New King James, here's what it says in the classic King James. It says right here that we are God's workmanship. In other translations, the Bible says workmanship as well as uh, wanted to get us into a, another uh, word here. Workmanship is very popular, so we'll stay with that for right now. The Bible says we are God's handiwork or God's workmanship, depending on what way you want to translate that word. Now, are we to go around saying we are God's mess? Are we to go around saying that now after salvation, we are God's hypocritical mess? No, we are to say we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's go back to what Lecrae said, the rapper, now trying to be the theologian. Lecrae is telling us that he is still a mess. Is that true? Are we God's mess? Right now, currently, am I God's mess? We'll talk about whether or not I sin or make bad decisions in Christianity. We'll get to that in just a moment. But my question to you is, as a Christian, should I say, I am God's mess? Well, let's look at a few more scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, I am God's handiwork. Well, what does it say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? It says, God made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And thank you for uh, tuning in, TJ, because I saw that you posted this and had over 100 comments on your, your page. So this clued me into it, and I said, man, I got to do a little podcast on this. So can we rightfully say that we're God's mess? No, not rightfully. We're supposed to say we're God's masterpiece. Are we supposed to say that we're hypocrites and we stumble and struggle in the sense that that's who we are? No, we're supposed to say we're the righteousness of God. How about another scripture? Here we see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, it says, this is how we know that love has been made complete among us. We have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. So are we to go around in some kind of false humility and say, I'm not like Jesus, nobody's like Jesus. No, we're supposed to confess that we are like Jesus. How about one more scripture here? The Bible says clearly that the purpose of Jesus going to the cross was to die for our sins and to raise again so that humanity could now be intertwined and brought to divinity, that the gap between man and God would now be closed, and that Jesus wouldn't be a one-off God and man, that now all of us would have God within us and have sanctification and purification and be like Jesus. Now, let me stop here. It doesn't mean that we become the Son of God, uniquely divine in our attributes, like Jesus. 
No, the early church fathers, when they talked about deification or theosis and these kinds of things, especially Athanasius early on, what they are simply talking about is what Peter mentioned, sharing in the divine nature of Christ. We never become the divine nature of Christ. We share in the divine nature of Christ. We are conformed to that image in Christ. It doesn't happen only after we die from glory to glory, but actually it starts now. Now, some of you might think that because we're going from glory to glory, as 2 Corinthians talks about, that somehow that means we're going from different levels of sinfulness to different levels of holiness. That is not what glory to glory means. As a matter of fact, let me put it up here so that everybody can see the context. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul is very clear to let us know that we now have the glory of God inside of this earthen vessel. And that inside this earthen vessel, we now go from glory to glory, and we do not lose hope, we do not get discouraged, we stay true to the things of God. Give me just a second as I post this up here. Look at what it says. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, now the Lord is, excuse me, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's 2 Corinthians 3.16. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the glory of the Lord, or the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. A great passage there on the Trinity and recognizing the divinity of the Spirit. But if you notice, we go from ever-increasing glory. That means we start off at glory and continue to increase in glory. That does not mean we start off, say, 100% sinful, and now God increases glory, so we become more glorious and less sinful, and maybe by the time we die we're 80% glorious and 20% sinful. God forbid. That's not the purpose of going from glory to glory, because as we read in these other passages, we start off at glory. We start off like Jesus. We start off with righteousness, and from that we go from glory to glory. Now let me continue with this thought that Jesus was not a one-off, that Jesus didn't come just to be a perfect human being and then to go to heaven and none of us to be like him. As a matter of fact, we are to be perfect like him. Let me explain further after I read this passage. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Did you notice that? Jesus is not meant... <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus is not meant to be the only one that is now perfect, only one that is morally flawless, the only one that is full of the Spirit and full of glory. As a matter of fact, he is meant, it was meant in the redemption act to bring us from sinners to saints, which literally means holy ones. We were meant to go from being a mess to a masterpiece. We were meant to go from being unrighteous to righteous. Now, those are the scriptures. 
What do we do with those scriptures? Be honest with yourself. When you look at the Facebook world, the preaching world, the multimedia world, wherever you're looking today to get your information about who you are in Christ, what are you hearing emphasized about your nature? Continually, I keep hearing the things that we heard from Lecrae, that though we are Christians, we are still in this state of being hypocrites, falling, stumbling, struggling, being a mess. Is that what you've been hearing? I've been hearing those same things. And you know what? I think it's time that we respond back with what the scriptures say. Now, somebody might bring up passages like Romans chapter 7, and they may say, well, Romans chapter 7 gives the impression that Paul is still in a state of sin, even though he is a Christian. Now, you may see it somewhere along this line in verse 11 of Romans chapter 7, and you might think this is the state of a believer. Listen to it. He says, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Now you might say, that's how I feel. Since becoming a Christian, the commands of God have put me to death, and now I feel condemned. Is that what he's saying? Absolutely not. He's saying as a Jew trying to pursue righteousness by the law, as he clued into it more and paid more attention to it, he realized how sinful he really was. Now look at verse 14. Somebody might say this is who they are. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my flesh or sinful nature. Sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. <clears throat> excuse me, revving up my engine this morning. He says, I can't carry it out. Now, friends, do you think that's a Christian? All that Paul just said right there, do you think that's a Christian? Do you think that Paul does not have the ability to carry out the commands of God? The Bible says that he, of course, can command, uh, um, carry out the commands of God. Look at the end of 1 John. And I'll show you here in the book of Romans as well how that contradicts itself. But look at here in, in the book of 1 John chapter 5 where the Bible says that the commands of God are not a burden. Look at what it says in verse 3 of chapter 5 of 1 John. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. Well, hold on. Paul just said right here in Romans he said, I cannot carry out the commands of God and keep going, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, friends, when you look to the scriptures, 
Does it say for a Christian they cannot keep the commands of God? Is this Paul saying that he cannot keep the commands of God, that literally he is under the slave master of sin? The Bible says this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. But now watch the distinction in verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Could it be that when Paul is talking about Romans 7, using present language, that he's actually describing a moment in his past with the present knowledge he now can put into those moments, called a biological, a biographical reconstruction? Kind of like how you would tell the story of a bad relationship as if it was in the present with the knowledge you now have. You would say something like, well, Jane was a jerk. And Jane used to cheat on me, but I now know that Jane was never good for me. I am so stupid that I fall for things like that. Now, when you put yourself then into the present, as Paul does, does that now mean that you're going to fall for it again? No, you now know what you didn't know from that past situation, and you're sharing it with that understanding. And so that is exactly what Paul is doing. And 1 John says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So going back to the passage in Romans, look at how Paul ends it. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so then he says, so then I myself, in my mind, and a slave to God's law, it, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin, excuse me. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So he basically says, I can't rescue myself. I need God to rescue me. So I'm not a slave. Now continue on into Romans chapter 8. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, which was not mentioned anywhere in this context, as he concludes here in this part of the verse, he now mentions the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now continue. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, these principles right up here in his summary, he says, he says it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you get it? Romans chapter 7 is not describing Paul as a Christian. It is describing him as a slave to sin trying to follow the law. He can't do it. And so Paul clearly tells us that the Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death. Now let's go back to this before we get lost and before we forget our original, uh, our original message today, which is, are we as Christians hypocrites? Are we as Christians people who fall and stumble and struggle and all of these things? We're not supposed to be. The Bible says, I know in Proverbs, a righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. But are we to continue to fall to show how righteous we are? No. Are we to continue to sin to show how much we can be forgiven? 
What does the Bible talk about when it talks about keeping commands? It actually calls that the love of God. That's what I was just sharing with you, that in 1 John and in other places in the scripture, it is clear that we are to live for God by keeping his commands. Now notice this, that at the end here of chapter 1, and I'll put the scripture up here, that John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I don't uh, deny that I have sinned or that I could sin. And I don't deny when I sin that I've sinned. But that does not take away from the standard to be sinless. Am I always sinless? No, but I sin less. But still, the, the standard is to be sinless. There is no place in the Bible where God says, oh, it's okay for you to sin every now and then. I, I know you're sinful. It's not a big deal. No, he actually says he provides a way of escape out of all of our temptations. And then it goes on to say, now in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So notice that if we do sin, we are to go back to the default place of being righteous without anything in our hearts that is impure. That's why we are to confess it so that we can be made pure and holy, not being contaminated by the sin we just committed. Now in verse 10, he then says, if we claim we have not sinned, you know, like in the past, if we say we've never done it, now because we're Christians, we think this life transformation makes us be able to change our past and say we're like Jesus, perfect from the start. That's not true. That makes him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Then that would mean Jesus would never have to die on the cross. But keep going. He then summarizes. He then says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. What is supposed to be the default position of all believers? Not sinning. The default position is not being a mess, not being a hypocrite, not stumbling, not falling. The default position is not sinning. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And then now notice how John goes on to say we're not supposed to then use kind of like this, I'm forgiven, I'm a beautiful mess mentality to move forward in Christianity, even though we now can have forgiveness. Forgiveness is a right of the believer. We don't lose that after we become a Christian. Of course, we can still have forgiveness if we sin. But notice how John doesn't harp on us continuing in this broken record of sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting. He then moves us past that to what Christian living by default is supposed to be. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. So could Paul be a Christian in Romans 7 when he's literally saying, I have evil within me, I am a slave to sin, and I can't even do the commands of God? Of course not. That is by definition what a sinner is. Paul is not a sinner, even according to Romans uh, 6 and 8, where that passage is sandwiched in between Romans 7. He says continually in 6 and in 8, he is free from the law. 
He is free from the sin. He is free from the, 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 the law of sin and death by the Spirit. And of course, John is not saying we're not going to live in sin, that we're going to keep being forgiven to keep sinning, to keep being forgiven. He says, this is how you know. This is how you know you are truly in love with God. You keep his commands. Uh, so Lecrae, we don't know we're in love with God by being false, humble, actually being prideful against the very words of Christ. Be ye perfect for your heavenly Father's perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. I'm a mess. That's not humble. That's like me walking up to my son going, son, you are my perfect son by your DNA. At birth, you were infused, or before at conception, rather, you were infused with my DNA. You're my perfect son. That's like him then coming back to me going, well, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm not your son. No, you're acting crazy right now is what you're doing. But in your DNA, in your inner being, you are my son. After being born again, the Bible says clearly we are God's masterpiece. We are the righteousness of God. We are like Jesus. And now we are to live like Jesus. So like my son, though he doesn't always act like me, that doesn't change his identity. Notice these two words, identity and maturity. Our identity in Christ is perfect, righteous, holy. Our maturity may not always display that. That's why we must grow in our knowledge of God so that we can live rightly before God, empowered by the Spirit, by the grace of Jesus. So my friends, this is not what Christianity should look like. Christianity should look like what the scriptures say it's like. We're like Jesus. We keep his commands. We obey him and we love him. Any questions before I roll out today? Amen. Amen. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen. So if we do sin, sister uh, Julie, we can be forgiven. So if you do sin, don't uh, condemn yourself. And say, well, I'm no longer God's son or daughter. No, simply say, I ask for forgiveness. I repent. And then as you repent, say, I am who God said I am. I can do what he said I can do. Does anybody else have any questions about this? Because I don't know about you, but I'm so discouraged as a pastor when I see Christians live in continual sin and use these means as their excuse, and they don't have to. You don't have to live in continual sin. I mean, let's just talk about it practically before we go. How have you been doing on some of the sins that you used to sin all the time? Has God already showed you his power? Let me just give you an example. I haven't cursed since I got saved uh, over 20 years ago. I used to curse all the time. Does that not alone show God's transforming power? So if God could change my mouth from unwholesome words to wholesome words. Can't he change me now from not speaking angrily or to put people down or to be jealous? Like, couldn't all of those other things follow along? Wouldn't it just make sense? Like the same Jesus who grew me spiritually to no longer say curse words could grow me spiritually to no longer be jealous? Well, what we're saying when we say we're not perfect is we're basically saying, I don't keep all God's commands. So my question to you is, 
What commands are you breaking that you think God is cool with and that doesn't have power to deliver you from? Any command that you're breaking right now, literally God has the power for you never to do again. Because what's more powerful, your sin or the blood of Jesus, the power of the Spirit? So let's say lust. I could say today, well, you know, every now and then I lust. I think about memories of my past or I get stuck at looking at pictures online or whatever. I, I could use it as an excuse to say, well, nobody's perfect. Or I could say, I've been commanded never to lust in my heart. That must mean God has power for me never to lust in my heart. So the next time if I were to lust and I were to repent, I better pray, Lord, help me never to lust again. And so since I haven't lusted since the last time I prayed for the Lord to forgive me from lust, I should live as if I don't ever have to lust again. Why should I have to lust again? The power of the Holy Spirit is in me. God has given me his word. I'm led by his grace and love and forgiveness. I'm free from the bondage of sin. Why should I ever do it? And since now that I'm free, why should I go back into bondage? Now, once again, if I do sin, I can be forgiven according to 1 John. But I'm not supposed to continue in my sin and use that as my excuse. I am to desire to go back to the default position of not sinning. Look at it again. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. You are supposed to be complete in love. Let's go back to that in just a moment. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And let's talk about love because John Wesley loved this and I'm heavily influenced by John Wesley. I have a great book here about the Wesleyan movement and how they impacted Pentecostals. And of course, whenever I look for a book, when I am doing a show, I can't find it. But this time, praise God, I could. Uh, here we have a, a book that documents Christian perfection and American Methodism. This is how the Bible Belt was developed in America, by the way, uh, through Methodist preachers who did discipleship and preached the gospel of transformation. This is nothing new. I'm not making this stuff up, okay? And so what the Methodists used to teach would encourage people to live without sin. And it would show that their life was different. George Whitfield, on the other hand, was a Calvinist who basically taught once you were saved, you were always saved. And, you know, it doesn't really matter how much you sin. If once you're in, you're in. And yes, God wants to grow you, but, you know, you're still wretched and wicked. You're like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, at the end of uh, their ministries, they were friends, Charles, um, um, George Whitfield. And, and John Wesley, Charles Wesley was his brother, George Whitfield was very clear about how he looked at the fruit of John Wesley's life. George Whitfield said, my converts had become like grains, a rope of sand. He couldn't even hold on to them. They were coming and going so often and really just all over the place. But he said, John Wesley had built a foundation of discipleship with his message that will last for hundreds of years to come. And, it, and you know, and it has. And so the idea that... Uh, we are somehow inventing a new form of Christianity is baloney. This, this is 
True Christianity, true Christianity is transformative. True Christianity will work in your life and it will last for generations to come. So let's go back to this idea of like, how many sins do you think God wants me to sin and get away with today? None. So the Methodists used to have accountability every time they would get together and they would ask each other like 24 questions to look at each other's heart and to be sincere in repentance. And that's how we should be again. We shouldn't just say like, oh, nobody's perfect and just run away with, you know, that idea and didn't go and hide in our sin. We should literally be taking our sin serious if we are having a problem with sin. Bring it to our brothers and sisters, as it says, confessing our sins to each other. That doesn't mean we go to Father Tom. That means we go to each other and we pray for each other. And we truly say, I want to be free from this sin. So that's the lesson today. Does anybody have any questions about you know, sanctification, being who God said you are. I'm looking over here. Someone says our identity is now found in who he is in us and who God says we are, not the sin nature. Exactly. We are, God, we are who God says we are. We are in Christ. So let me ask you this. Why are we then seeing all these memes about who we're not? You know, if we all agree with this, saints, then why is it, and even just that term, saints, that's who we are. Why is it we keep seeing this? Why is this a lot of what we hear on K-Love, like singing about our brokenness, our sinfulness, our failings? Why are we not singing about our conquering, our victory, our victory in Christ? Why are we not singing about overcoming the world? Why can't we use that as our example? I'm looking through the comments. Anyone want to share anything uh, that you want me to read online? Please put up now or any questions you may have. I, as a Christian pastor, just it discourages me. It does. It hurts me. It, it, it just makes me feel so much compassion for people that I see living in continual sin and thinking that's Christianity. That's literally not Christianity. That is the complete opposite of Christianity. Christianity is victorious. Can I just show you that while I'm waiting to see uh, Jose's question here? I'll, I'll get to that. But I just want to put up this scripture here, and then if anybody else has one, please put it up, a question or a comment I'll read online. Just listen to it. Look, look at this right here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Notice now we go from lost to saved. We go from children of the devil to children of God. They're born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. And did not Jesus say, if you love me, you will keep my commands? Did not Jesus also say that? I believe it's either in John 16 or John 15. Oh, I believe it's John, uh, John 14, rather. John 14. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Let's go to it. If someone has already got it, let's uh, put it up there. But it's John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. How much more clear could he be? Clearer could he be? Uh, John, uh, Jose says in Hebrews, it says, without holiness, you won't see the Lord. Can you please share on this? Yes. I believe it's uh, what? Hebrews. What is it? Hebrews. Oh, man, it's just skipping my mind right now. Let me look it up here. My brother, if somebody wants to put it up. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. I'm glad I didn't guess because I was nowhere near that. Listen to what it says. Make every effort to live in peace 
with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I don't know how much more clear the Bible could say it. How much more clear could the Bible teach us who we are and what we're supposed to do? So let's go back to this idea of sin. If I'm sinning, I'm breaking literally one of God's commandments. I need to then take that serious enough where I go to my brother or sister and ask them to pray for me, give me scripture and instruction, and then by God's grace, I aim to never do that again. That is my default, not making silly means my lifestyle. My motto isn't I'm a mess, but I'm God's mess. That's not my motto. My motto is I'm God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. How much more simpler could it be? I mean, I just don't understand it. If my son walked around talking as negative as most Christians do about my relationship with him or his relationship to me, I would rebuke him and say, son, get that junk out of your mind. You're my son. You are like me. Now learn to live like me. And I thank God that over 20 years, Christ has been patient with me. And though I have fallen, he's picked me back up. But I have not lived in that fallenness. I have not lived in that mess. If you were to look at my life, literally, it's going from glory to glory to glory. Not from glory to gory to glory to gory, like some gory synth thing in my life. When sin was present, God was there to rebuke, correct, discipline, to remove, instruct, and move forward. That should be our confession of faith. Also, yes, another sister, thank you for sharing that as well, said um, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And the way I like to look at working out, we're not working for the salvation, we're working it out. So kind of like, like one of those uh, dance moves, like work it out, work it out, work it out. <laughs> You're working it out. You're working from the place of having received it and now working with it to express it. That's what working out means. It doesn't mean working for. It's not like Paul can, you know, contradicted himself from Ephesians to, I believe, uh, what is that, work out your salvation? Isn't that Philippians? You know, it's not like he contradicted himself there. Working out your salvation. That is Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, see, look at it, you've always obeyed. Look at the compliment paid there. Not only in my absence, but now much more in my absence, uh, excuse me, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Oh, move you to keep all my laws. This is actually a fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. The belief, um, excuse me, the lifestyle of the believer now being moved to keep God's commands, as Philippians is saying God is going to do, is actually from the promise of Ezekiel in the new covenant. Let me show it to you once again so you don't miss it. Notice in Philippians 2.13, oh, you guys don't see my scripture. Let me put it up here, sorry. Got a little excited here. Notice in Philippians 2.13, after it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act 
in order to fulfill his good purpose. Can I say that slowly? Get it. Don't miss it. To will and to act comes from God. What do you get in the born-again experience? The Holy Spirit comes in you to will and to act the things of God. So no one can say as a Christian, man, I just don't have enough willpower to keep these commands. No, God is in you to will and to act. All you have to do is count your flesh as dead. Do not resist. Do not fight back. Humble yourself, as the Bible says in other places, and God's will will come forth in your heart and mind, transforming your affections, your thoughts, uh, the way you look at things, and he will act in you, through you, to do all that he wants you to do. Now, why is that so important? Because that was the promise in the new covenant that God was going to do this. If you look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter uh, 36, verse 27, it was prophesied, and I will put my spirit in you, this is talking about the new covenant, and will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So there was the prophecy of Ezekiel that God would send his spirit to move us. And here in Philippians, as our dear sister showed us, uh, put up as a chat, is the fulfillment of that God kept his word, put his spirit in us, and he is moving us. Amen and amen. May God empower you to live holy for him. Have a great day. God bless you and all that you do.